Welcome in, everyone, to the first episode of 32 Beat Beyond the Tweets. I'm so glad that you could join us. My name is Zach Hyduk, and I'm going to be your host as we take this journey together speaking with beat writers from all around the league. We have a great one lined up for you today, and I'm so excited for who we have to help us kick off our inaugural episode. One quick note. As occasionally happens with podcasting, we recorded our show, and then some news broke. Make sure to listen to the end of the episode where I'll quote some words from our beat writer that he posted after it broke to give some context on his thoughts on the news. Now, on to the interview. Okay, everyone, I'm here with our very first guest on the show, Evan Lazar. Evan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Evan is the beat writer for Patriots.com and also hosts the Patriots Catch 22 podcast. You can listen to him on Patriots Unfiltered over at Patriots.com. And if you're looking for him on Twitter, you can find him at Easy Lazar and, of course, find his written work over at Patriots.com. Uh, did I miss anything there, Evan? <laughs> no, that was pretty good. All right. Good to know. Um, as a side note, I personally recommend uh, one article that you've recently written uh, for under the radar breakout candidates for the Patriots in 2023. Our listeners should definitely check that out after the show. Uh, but uh, with that, I guess let's just go ahead and dive right in here. Um, if you don't mind, just give us a little introduction. How did you get your start covering the Patriots here? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Boston, in the, in the suburbs of Boston. So I have been a Patriots fan my whole life and been basically on this track of, of being a reporter and being a journalist since I went to college uh, over a decade ago now, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, I, that was um, that was always my my goal. My dream uh, was to cover the Patriots, to be on the beat. Uh, to travel with the team, you know, do all that type of stuff. And, uh, you know, thankfully, and, uh, you know, I thank my lucky stars every day that I, that I'm realizing that, but yeah, that that's always been my goal. And I went to school, Ithaca college, uh, for journalism and I started covering the NFL, um, as a producer behind the scenes in 2015, when I graduated, um, from Ithaca, uh, and then started covering the Patriots specifically in 2018 um, before coming over to the the team website uh, about a year ago now. So I've uh, been doing this for about five years, five seasons, got a few Brady years in there at the end, and then I've uh, been here for the rebuild. So it's been it's been a journey, but it, it's it's been a good time. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting time to kind of come in and start covering them there with that final Super Bowl then, I assume, and then yeah. yeah, everything since then, which we'll uh, we'll get into a little bit here. So um, before we do that, though, is there anything unique about covering the Patriots uh, in your experience or any unique experiences you've had with them? Well, I've had a really unique experience because I was working for an external outlet for the majority of my time on the beat. And then in the last year, I'm now internal uh, working for the team website. So it, that in itself has been, I think, pretty unique going from uh, that sort of set of parameters to now having the parameters that we have in-house. So uh, that's been cool. It's, it's definitely been different, but in a good way. And I, I think the, you know, the most unique thing about the Patriots is that I think a lot of people are under the impression that they 
control what we say on the team website and that they are very, very strict about what we can write about and things like that. And that hasn't really been my experience at all. Obviously, you keep it between the lines, right? We're not going to necessarily <laughs> yeah. uh, take cheap shots at anybody in the organization or talk in depth about our opinions about certain things that go on off the field. But if it's football and it's a valid criticism about the football team, they've never told me not to write something, not to say something or or whatever. So I, I think that that's one big misconception about um, not only – team run websites in general, but I think obviously knowing the Patriots, I think a lot of people would assume, oh, they must be, you know, all over making sure that you're only positive and you're only talking about certain things. And that really hasn't been my experience. Yeah, no, I think there's definitely a stigma, it seems, from the outside with Bill and everything like that. But that's good to hear. And and I've certainly, you know, listening to your content and things like that, it seems you guys tend to keep it pretty honest. So um yeah. Yeah. You know, with that, Sometimes to a fault. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, as long as I suppose you're not getting in trouble for it, we're good, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, to, to kind of get into some of that, Bill O'Brien obviously is the biggest story for the offense this year, maybe, you know, for the, the Patriots in, in total. Um, after last year, what type of realistic improvements do you think we can see for the offense you know they're 26 in yards last year not that great but 17th in points I assume mostly because the defense wasn't too bad but with Bill O'Brien what type of things do you think we can see hopefully improving from last year well, I think that they're going to completely revamp the offensive system that they ran last year is basically in the trash, I would say, for the most part. And there are going to be elements of it that I think are going to be similar to what Josh McDaniels ran in 21 with Mac in his rookie year. But for the most part, this is Bill O'Brien's show now. And just over the years with Belichick, the best Belichick teams in my mind are the ones that sort of have a CEO of the offense or a head coach of the offense so that Bill can give his input over the top and he sort of is able to put them over the top in that role by being in the margins right and giving them that little extra boost defensively with game planning or uh, coaching on the field or giving them that little extra boost uh, with the quarterbacks being in their ear and talking about how opposing defenses might game plan and scheme against them so I I've always felt like with McDaniels, uh, obviously with Charlie Weiss in the beginning of the dynasty, those guys being in place really allowed Bill to be at his best. So I think this is really a best case scenario all around. I think they'll look a lot like the 21 Patriots. Uh, we have to go back a little ways to go back to Bill O'Brien's first stint in mm -hmm. New England in like 2010, 2011. I think they'll look a little bit like that as well. And then I also think they'll have some Alabama modifications in there too that are crossover from what O'Brien did the last two seasons in Alabama and what Mac did at Alabama uh, as the starting quarterback there for Nick Saban. So uh, I think that's the best part of it for everybody is that there's some familiarity. There's familiarity with the organization, with Bill O'Brien. There's familiarity for Mac with Bill O'Brien and with Alabama ties. And so just 
sort of made sense for everybody. And I think that that's really the the main thing other than just schematically uh, what he's going to bring to the table is a level of competency and a level of professionalism and experience uh, that we didn't necessarily see last year, given the coaching setup and the situation there. You just watch these practices in the spring and they just, they run a lot smoother. They're a lot more efficient. The ball is not hitting the ground as often. Uh, they're not, uh, you know, huddle, rehuddling and resetting because people are in the wrong spots or not on the same page. And those are the types of things that I think they're hoping are going to make this offense go a little bit smoother this year. Yeah, I think the words that uh, Mac Jones used was normal, right? And so that's always good to hear uh, in contrast to what we were seeing like last year. At this time, I think we were hearing a lot about zone running schemes and things like that. They kind of did that a little bit at the beginning of the year and then went away from it. So you're kind of thinking that what we've seen in the past is hopefully what we'll see in the future. We can kind of expect more of like a power running offense and things like that. Yeah, I think that there's going to be a little bit of both, you know, in the spring. And I think that this is a big part of it, too. They didn't do a whole lot of run game stuff because it's obviously non-padded practices. And we're really uh, seeing a lot of what you would call like an old school passing camp, right, where it's a lot of seven on seven. It's a lot of, uh, you know fake 11 on 11 right with the really no pass rush or blocking going on up front and uh so we hadn't seen a ton of what their their goals are going to be in terms of the run game but we did see some under center play action and how they're going to sort of marry that up to the run game and there was an element of the downhill stuff again like pullers and things like that there's not going to be a fullback so they're not going to go back uh, to two back sets like Josh McDaniels would run and run lead ISO and things like that. Like I don't think they're going to be doing much of that, but I, I think that there's going to be a little bit of both, uh, but I don't see, you know, this time last year, the, the big thing was it didn't really start to truly go downhill until we got into training camp last year. Mm. The spring was okay. It wasn't, uh, you didn't really see it being a total train wreck yet until the pads came on and they got into practices in the summertime, the spring, what was weird about it was all the change, you know, it was Mm -hmm. just all of a sudden we're going to go from a downhill run scheme that worked for 20 years in new England at a very, very high level to now we're drilling every other period is an outside zone drill. And then we went from that to the efficient, short, quick, intermediate passing game that we're used to in New England to like bombs away and, and right. with Mac Jones and, the, and shotgun with the spread formations and throwing the football down the field. And you're like, all right, like this is not only are we changing coaching staffs, not only is there doubts about who's in charge, but they're also just completely fundamentally changing everything that they do offensively. And I think that that led to a lot of, concerns but we didn't really see it fall apart until we got to training camp so i'm still weary of let's see what it looks like when the pads come on let's see what it looks like a couple weeks into training camp because it wasn't a total disaster yet last year until he got into the season but i think from a run game perspective i'm expecting them to be a little bit more downhill and traditional like they have been but i think mainly uh, what you're looking at is going to be a little bit of the combination because Alabama was always sort of multiple as well and, and ran some zone and also ran uh, some of those power concepts that we're used to seeing. Okay. All right. 
Uh, so it sounds like, yeah, we'll want to monitor that. Uh, I think they start training camp. What is it on the 26th or 27th of yeah, July? So somewhere the, July 26th, the first day of practice, uh, 25th veterans report. Um, they have those couple of days in the beginning where they're kind of extension of mini camp and OTAs before the pads come on. So I would expect uh, maybe the first week of August to be the true first week of pads and, and full contact practices. Okay. All right. So we'll make sure to keep out a lookout or that then, uh, along with those running game comments, you know, going back to last year, Stevenson had 210 attempts on the ground and then he had 88 targets. Now, of course that was with Damian Harris out there for a considerable chunk of time with some injuries and things like that. Now with the OC change, what do you expect his workload to look like? And who's the main guy behind him? If there is one, I know recently you've mentioned, People like Ty Montgomery. I know he got a little bit of plug last year. Uh, we've got uh, the the rookies from last year, so the sophomores. You know, do we expect him to shoulder that whole load again, or or what do you think? Well, historically speaking, the Patriots have never relied heavily on one running back like they did last year. That was definitely an outlier. Like you have to go back to probably like Corey Dillon, you know, mm. in the early two thousands or maybe like one LeGarrette Blunt season when he was in his right. peak Patriots to truly get a running back. That was 66% snap rate in the backfield for the Patriots last year, which is what Ramondre was. And Ramondre has been open about the fact that it wore him down that late in the year. He wasn't the same guy that he was at the beginning of the season. We saw it. It was tangible. You could see it with your eyes, but at the same time to hear him say that I think really tells you that they have to internally address the fact that he cannot play 70% of the snaps again, like he did last season. So as much as that might kill fantasy football owners, and I get this question all the time because of the fantasy crew of, you know, what's everybody's talking about Ramondre's workload being reduced. And I know that, that drives the fantasy football people nuts, uh, but that's just the reality uh, of the situation that they're in. Now, it's more tricky when you start to project uh, who's going to step into that second role, you know, that RB2 role or even the third down role. You mentioned Ty Montgomery. This is the second straight offseason where Ty Montgomery has looked like the best fit, most natural guy for the receiving back role that we've known to be very successful here in New England from, you know, James White and Kevin Falk and Shane Vereen. You know, he fits that mold and, and he's been a reliable uh, sort of safety blanket for them when he's out there. But I think that, you know, what I've sort of come to realize as we start to do roster projections and training camp uh, previews and things like that, Ty Montgomery hasn't been a productive NFL player in five years. You know, it's really, you have to go all the way back to 2018 since the last time that he put up more than 200 scrimmage yards in a season. So to sit here and say that Ty Montgomery is going to be this huge factor in the Patriots offense is certainly putting um, a lot of risk, I would say, in the fact that he's struggled to stay healthy, uh, struggled to carve out roles in other places. Uh, so I, you, you can't deny what you're seeing out at practice, which is that he's being used all over the place. Uh, he's been active in these practices. Uh, he's been reliable. Uh, and the fact that he just hasn't been that player in, in actual NFL games. So We'll see if it translates. We'll see if he stays healthy. I'm still 
bullish and, and hoping that they're going to give as many opportunities to Pierre Strong as possible. You drafted this guy in the fourth round. Uh, he's got 4.38 speed. Uh, he's got big playability. You, you've seen the big playability in flashes as a rookie and some of the touches he had last year. And then you see it out at practice that he's an explosive guy. Uh, so I would really like to see them continue uh, to give him all the opportunities in the world uh, to be the RB2 behind Ramondre. Kevin Harris is the other uh, sophomore running back he fits more of their early down mold you know he's 225 pounds he's built like a Mack truck he's a big guy uh, can run between the tackles he's not going to give you as much of that explosive playability as Pierre Strong but he's somebody that just fits their prototype in terms of toting the rock between the tackles on first down you know that type of guy so between those three guys uh can they muster up a uh two and a three right a receiving back and, and maybe somebody that can carry the ball five to ten games to give Ramondre a breather every once in a while I don't know I, I think that there's still a lot of uncertainty there a lot of inexperience there obviously with the sophomore guys I think they totaled 27 touches between the two of them uh, last year. That's it. That's the only sample that we have uh, to go off of with those two guys. So to wrap it up, I would just say I would not rule out the Patriots being in the running back market uh, for a true experienced RB2 uh, behind uh, Ramondre or maybe even forming a one-two punch, you know, with Ramondre, uh, you know, you just look at the names that are still out there, you know, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, Zeke Elliott, like these are guys that that are big brand name players in the league. Um, with James Robinson not working out, I, I could definitely see them kicking the tires on one of those guys and, and maybe even signing one of those guys before camp. Okay, well, you had me all excited with the uh, Pierre Strong talk and your hopes there because I drafted him on my dynasty team last year late yeah. in the rookie draft. But now you're telling me that there might be interested in Dalvin Cook. And that was one of the things I wanted to ask about. Like, So you think that there would be legitimate interest in Dalvin Cook? I think he maybe retweeted something la or liked a tweet about the Patriots or something a, a day ago. Like, do you think that so that's something you, you see as a possibility? Yes, absolutely. I, I do think it's a possibility. And I think that the main thing is, I mentioned the Patriots have always been leaning towards more of like a running back by committee. I, they've never wanted to give one guy in 200 carries and 66% snap rate like they did with Ramondre last year. That's just not their cup of tea. And, and I also think with New England, people always talk about how the Patriots don't usually spend a whole lot. And I, I agree that that's not true. Usually their spending model is not to go all out in free agency like they did a few years ago and spend a ton of money. But when they can see a deal to be had, that I, that's when they tend to pounce. And Dalvin Cook being available on June 28th and maybe not having as robust of a market as he would, let's say, in March because the, the salary cap space has dried up across the league. I could see the Patriots looking at that and saying – well, this is like a market you know, deficiency. This is a bargain now. Like this is where we're getting a depressed asset because he's not a free agent at the right time and he's still only 27 and he's a pro bowler. So I could definitely see Dalvin Cook, uh, the Patriots being interested in Dalvin Cook. Will they win a bidding war for Dalvin Cook? I, I don't think so. But if Dalvin Cook doesn't have a lot of, of multi-year offers out there, uh, then maybe there's a possibility that New England would kick the tires and, and be interested. I think they're already interested, but in terms of actually signing him, I, I do think it's a possibility if the money is right. 
Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure how many people were expecting that to be the case. Uh, like you mentioned, just with the stinginess, it seems, uh, or the stigma around yeah. that stinginess and free agency. But I mean, even if they don't sign Dalvin Cook, like you mentioned, there's Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. And uh, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised. So it's good to get that information based on what you're saying yeah. here. Um, moving on just to the the sophomore wide receiver here that we have in Tyquan Thornton. Um, how has he looked this offseason? It seems like I know he was injured a bit, right? And so he didn't yeah. participate a ton. Um, I'm curious to know if you think that he can step up from what he did last year. He had 45 targets in 13 games. You know, he's got that 4-2-8 speed. Can he take any stress off of Mac Jones? And uh, if we're going to do a, a game here, like, would you put the over or under – uh, on 80 targets. What do you feel about that? 80 targets. I don't know. That seems like a, a little bit high just because I don't think his role is necessarily going to be high volume. It's more going to be big plays and hoping that he averages 18 yards per catch. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if he's going to be a hundred target guy, but he might be a 65 target guy that is targeted a lot down the field and hopefully makes you know big plays out of those targets. But I think the biggest thing with Taekwon is you just look at Bill O'Brien as being somebody that could unlock his speed in this offense and use him a little bit more creatively uh, to get him open and get him advantageous opportunities down the field to beat coverage. I think one of the things that he struggled with last year was that, you know, Finishing through contact, obviously, with his size, he's you know six one, one eighty, soaking wet. He's a skinny kid, uh, he's real thin, and asking him to play like the backside X role and just go up against press corners and win that battle against NFL press man corners is not necessarily, I don't think, going to produce the results that the Patriots need him to produce because of his lack of physicality or lack of play strength. So moving him around the formation more, uh, playing him more inside, playing him more out of splits, like, you know, bunches and and trips alignments or stack alignments, things like that, uh, using him in motion. Like, I think that those are things that can allow him to just basically make it a game of of, t- of flag football for him right where he's mm-hmm. just out there running around and using that speed so i'm i'm optimistic that they're going to use him correctly i think the biggest thing with him is is health and durability last year he missed the first month of the year uh with a collarbone injury then we get out there he has uh, this spring he has one great practice right off the bat in in the spring OTAs uh, circuit, and then he goes, uh, you know, down to the rehab field with a hamstring injury or a soft tissue injury. Excuse me, I'm not sure exactly if it's a hamstring, but a soft tissue injury uh, mm-hmm. that held him out for the rest of the spring. So is this a guy that's just going to be dinged up all the time and, and isn't going to really uh, realize his potential because of injuries? It's it's possible, um, but I, I really like the idea of looking to Bill O'Brien's past, you know, guys like Will Fuller, uh, Jamison Williams, like those types of uh, burners that that Bill O'Brien's been able to unlock. I, I think that Taekwon has similar skills. Uh, they just need him out there. And, and he needs to be out there because they, they really don't have another field stretcher in this group. They don't have another burner in this group. You know, Devontae Parker is a contested catch guy. You know, he can make big plays on jump balls, but he's not running by anybody. Uh, Juju and Kendrick born or intermediate guys and then there's taekwon so the only guy that's stretching the field in their current receiver room even if they get deandre hopkins is taekwon so that they definitely need him to be out there 
Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you mentioned DeAndre, which of course, you know, everybody's curious about too, but just putting, you know, assuming he doesn't sign, which it sounds like he might, you know, the recent uh, information on the last couple of days seems like he's at least interested. Um, But assuming he doesn't, uh, who would have the most targets and yards? Do you think is that if it's not going to be Taekwon, then you think it might be Juju or. Yeah, I definitely think that that's what they hope. You know, Juju has had a little bit of a weird spring too. He's been coming back from a knee injury apparently that he had that he played through uh, last year in the playoffs and uh, hasn't been out there very much in the spring. Uh, hopefully that's just precautionary and playing a long game with him and he'll be out there full tilt uh, comes training camp. But we haven't really seen him yet in terms of open practices to the media. He's been out there a little bit throwing with Mac Jones from what we understand behind the scenes, but not a whole lot in front of the media yet. So we'll see, but he's supposed to be the Jacoby Myers replacement. He's supposed to be the high volume guy. Uh, you know, if you're going to project a guy to get over a hundred targets in this offense, it should be Juju. If it's not, then they're in trouble. You know, I, I don't really know where they go offensively at that position. Maybe it's to Kendrick Bourne and, mm-hmm. and they, try to unlock Kendrick Bourne like he was in 2021 at a higher volume. But I think that that's really gets dicey at that point. If Juju is not the guy they thought that they signed in free agency, and I guess you could sort of connect Hopkins to that. Like maybe they are a little bit concerned about Juju and that's why they're showing so much interest in Deandre Hopkins is to get a, you know, a hedge of their bet there a little bit, but Uh, They need Juju to be healthy. They need him to be a chain mover. They need him to be a targets machine. And and hopefully he is back out there in training camp. Okay. Yeah. So we'll have to monitor that then. And, uh, you know, getting to Hopkins then if they sign him, how much of a game changer is that if it happens? And do you think anybody else on the wide receiver, you know, lineup gets cut because of that? Or what do you see there? Yeah, so in terms of the game changer, I've been really high on them signing DeAndre Hopkins. I admit uh, fully that it's partially selfish because it's just more exciting to to cover the team if they have DeAndre Hopkins on the team. And the fan interest is definitely going to be a lot higher. But just in general, they have not had anybody, mainly like, you know, I guess Edelman and Gronk at the end of their careers or maybe like Brandon Cooks in in 17 uh, that has that sort of, a potential that has 1300 yard 1500 yard potential when healthy and that was the pace that Hopkins was on last year uh, if he didn't have the suspension and some of the uh, the issues with Arizona going on so it, I think that he's somebody that can certainly demand some extra attention tilt the coverage his direction uh, command top coverage assignments like when they get out there in week one against Philadelphia and DeAndre Hopkins is on the roster like we know who Darius Slay is covering it's going to be DeAndre Hopkins and if you go into that game without him you don't really need to worry about that if you're the Eagles like where where does Darius Slay play it doesn't really matter he just plays right and uh, now you get that guy and I've always been big on uh, you know something that Mike Lombardi uh, talks about a lot the, the Tuesday meeting guy like who's the guy when you get into the game plan meeting with the coaching staff that they put up on the whiteboard and circle and say we gotta devise a game plan to stop this guy the Patriots don't really have that guy in their offense right now. You maybe could make the argument that the Ramondre could be that guy, but that's basically out of, well, there's nobody else. So right. like, we're just going to key in on the running back. So I think with Hopkins, uh, he does that. I, I, even at this point of his career, I still think his, his, um, 
you know, production last year, his name recognition and just cachet around the league, he's going to draw some extra coverage. He's going to draw top assignments. And I'm almost higher on it from that perspective than his actual individual production. I just think the trickle down effect on the rest of the offense, it just kind of puts everybody in the proper pecking order uh, to have him at the top. So I think it would really make a big difference. The odd man out question is one we get a lot too. I think the biggest thing with, uh, you know, the odd man out is not necessarily that it's in the Patriots best interest to move on from one of the veteran receivers. If Hopkins signs, I think it's more about uh, in the player's best interest because he's not going to play. And Mm -hmm. if you're Devontae Parker or Kendrick Bourne and you're barely going to play here, but you can be traded and maybe play in the top three someplace else. I think that that's going to be where one of those guys is going to lean. It makes more sense for them to move on from Parker at that point. I think just because I believe that Hopkins will play that X role and that Parker is currently holding down, but Kendrick Bourne's had some issues internally with the, with the team, with the coaching staff, uh, certainly last year, just really outspoken about how much of a mess that thing was last year. And you know how the Patriots and Bill Belichick work, you know, you keep that Mm -hmm. stuff in house. You don't go talking to the media about it. And I I think that that has rubbed a lot of people the wrong way uh, with Kendrick Bourne. So if it had to be like which guy fits the Patriot way more, I, I definitely go with uh, Devontae Parker. But in terms of roles and skill sets and overlaps and things like that, I would say Parker would probably be uh, the odd man out. So I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult one to project just because how do they truly feel about Kendrick Bourne in terms of the the person and, and right. the, uh, in the culture more than anything? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds so... Um... You had actually, and for anybody who hadn't seen this already, go check out Evan's uh, 53-man roster projection that he just posted. I was scanning the the wide receiver room there, um, and you kind of mentioned some of those things. It also seems like uh, the rookie, Kayshawn Booty, who's, who had some hype last year, uh, yeah. you know, really fell in the draft. It seems as though you're thinking he may not make this team uh either yeah look he can't make the team if you're not out there and he hasn't Mm. been out there a ton and there was one practice in the spring and i hate to to put a ton on one practice in the spring with no pads and things but it's all we have to go off right now and there was one practice where the top four veteran receivers all sat out to practice it was a voluntary session they all didn't practice and it was Keishon booty demario douglas Trey Nixon, like all their depth guys Mm -hmm. and booty just did nothing. Like he just didn't do anything to pop or do, do anything to really take advantage of uh, getting some reps with Mac Jones and getting some reps with the Cedo ones that day. And you just would have liked to have seen one catch, one play, like something in that practice with all that opportunity coming his way. And it just didn't really pop for him. I think we've seen some of the, explosiveness and suddenness that he's known for in positional drills. And like, he does look like a, an athlete, uh, but he just didn't really do anything to stand out in the spring. And on top of that, you just, you can't make the team if you're not healthy and you're not out there. So we'll see with booty. I, I, I still think that he's got a chance and this often happens, you know, you get hyped up about somebody in the spring and then it completely does a 180 once the pads come on in the summer. So maybe that's how it goes for Keishon booty. Uh, and I'm willing to like leave that door open. Uh, but if I had to project it today, I, I would have him off the roster. 
Mm, okay. All right. We'll keep a, an eye on that then. Um, looking at the defense then, just shifting gears a tiny bit. Uh, it, it was pretty good last year, uh, but it did have its struggles against good quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Um, you, you've got Aaron Rodgers in the division now with the Jets. Uh, so it seems as though they're going to end up playing three top 15 offenses about six times. I mean, I don't know how everybody's going to shake out, but if Aaron Rodgers is what he's supposed to be, we're going to have three other good teams in the division, right? So how do you think the defense does? Uh, obviously, Jack Jones, that whole recent drama, we don't know if he's going to be there or not. But uh, in the draft, you know, they got a couple extra guys, uh, Christian Gonzalez, Keon White. Um, what do you think they look like this year? Hopefully, if Bill can focus his full attention on that and leave the offense to, to O'Brien. Yeah, it's a it's a fun defense on paper because they really do have a solid depth and and really good contributors at all three levels of the defense now, and they should take that next step. But there's a lot of pressure, I would say, on Christian Gonzalez in that rookie class to be the the missing pieces, the final pieces to the puzzle, and putting that all on a 21 year old rookie uh, is a lot, but at the same time, it's not, I don't think he needs to go out there and be Darrell Revis day one. He just needs to go out there and be a starting caliber corner on the outside, which I think is more than, than fair to ask him to do. Uh, so I'm not expecting him to be an all pro uh, out of the gate or have a season like sauce Gardner had last year or something like that, but I'm definitely expecting him to be a starter and, and to be heavily involved and play a ton of snaps. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening with Gonzalez. But in general, you you mentioned it, and I think it's a really good point. They beat up on a lot of bad offenses over the last couple of years, a lot of bad quarterbacks, backups, you know, Sam Darnold's, like those mm -hmm. types of guys. And then they get up against Josh Allen, and Allen kind of just does whatever he wants. And at some point, they have to be a good defense against everybody, not just a good defense uh, against those uh, those teams that Belichick just – just as better than, you know, still at, at this point of his career, uh, his game planning, the system itself, I think is maybe even more important sometimes in the game plan. They're just fundamentally sound. They don't beat themselves. They don't bust coverages. They don't, you know, uh, run out of gaps. They don't like do all those types of things that bad defenses do uh, to give up a lot of points. So uh, they've been really, really good against really, really bad competition and they've been okay uh, to bat, you know, I would say okay to bad at times against mm. good competition. And for this team to win 10 games and, and be in the playoff hunt, uh, they need the defense to win some games against good quarterbacks. They just do. And uh, we'll see if they're able to make that next step. Uh, you mentioned uh, White, Gonzalez. Uh, their third-round pick, Marty Mapu, is probably the star of the spring for them. Uh, he is a safety linebacker hybrid, and we know how much the Patriots love using those types of guys. But I think he skews a little bit more towards linebacker, and they, they really haven't had – a 225, 230 sideline to sideline linebacker, you know, a, a Fred Warner type, a Matt Milano mm. type in this defense. They typically uh, play the old school guys like Jawan Bentley, you know, the thumpers, the 250 pound guys, the high towers, the Bentleys, um, the Kyle Van Noys. That role has not really been something that they've uh, highlighted or used a ton, but Mapu was terrific in the spring, uh, played a lot of different positions, wore a lot of different hats, uh, showed that sideline to sideline ability and explosiveness. So if you can put him on the second level of the defense, 
next to Juwan Bentley. Uh, that gives him a lot more range. It gives him a lot more coverage upside, I think, in the middle of the field. And then obviously with guys like Allen in the division, uh, somebody that maybe can run down those quarterbacks as well. So I, I really think that Mapu is uh, as much of a potential missing piece, if you will, as uh, Christian Gonzalez, uh, just based off of his skill set and what he showed us in the spring. So th- that's the, the defense other than that is pretty much intact from last year. The only guy that they lost, and it's it's a big loss in Devin McCourty, uh, him retiring, but he's the only starter that's not returning uh, from the mm-hmm. defense last year that was top five in DVOA, uh, number one in weighted DVOA. So uh, they, they were a good defense last year on itself, and then you bring pretty much everybody back and add some of the rookies. So I, I'm bullish on the defense. I think everybody is, uh, but we still got to see it against Allen, against Rodgers, against Mahomes, against uh, Hertz in week one. If we don't, then they're still kind of in the same boat they have been the last couple of years. Yeah, it sounds like based on what you're saying with the addition of the rookies, we can hope that maybe they improve. Um, and you know, maybe Kyle Duggar steps up to to help lead that where maybe McCordy's not going to be anymore. Um, but uh so from a fantasy angle, sounds like maybe just start them against the people who you know are bad, but uh stay yeah. away until we get some proof here in the beginning, maybe. So yeah, I think they're going to be a good fantasy defense. I do because they they'll turn the ball over like they always do. Uh, they'll score some defensive touchdowns like they always do. Uh, just because Belichick is is still really really good on that side of the ball in terms of disguising and uh, you know giving them opportunities to get turnovers and things like that. So if they're playing you know a backup quarterback one week in your fantasy league, then I I would definitely be starting the Patriots. All right, we'll go ahead and do that then. Um, with the tight ends now, I personally believe, and I I have a hard time with fantasy tight ends. They tend to be a, a purgatory that I just <laughs> I I don't love getting into. But for for our sake here, uh, you know the Pats let John Smith go. Um, that, that leaves Hunter Henry and now of course Mike Gesicki from the Dolphins. Uh, they seem to be the most fantasy relevant options and the ones who are going to stick to the roster here. Uh, how do you expect those guys to be utilized and how do they differ from one another? What different roles do they have? Well, I, I think what they're hoping for is that they will be a little bit more complimentary. And on, on the surface, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry seemed really complimentary because Johnny was more of this like Swiss army knife, you know, blocker slash ball carrier type of tight end. And Henry was more your natural pass catcher, uh, traditional Y. Uh, but when it really got out on the field, John Smith just didn't fit their offense. He didn't fit what they do because he's not a great route runner and he's not really like a natural pass catcher. He's kind of this gadget tight end and it's a unique skill set that I don't think that they ever really figured out uh, of how to optimize it in this offense. What we've seen from Gesicki, both in Miami in his early stages and also in the spring is just a a lot more of a natural fit, a natural pass catcher, a route runner, a good hands, catch radius. We know that good straight line explosiveness. And I think that traditionally how they use their tight ends, like we've seen in the past, run the seam, run across the field on, on play action concepts like that's, that fits Kasiki a lot more than it ever fit Johnny. So I think that they're, they have a, a much better system fit with Kasiki that, that makes you, uh, you know, excited about what that duo can do. 
are that is that duo going to tap into each other's production from a fantasy angle? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, but I, I do think that by the end of the year, and maybe this is a little bit of a hot take, I, I think Kasiki might pass Hunter Henry in some of the traditional like 11 personnel third down situations. You know, Henry is a really crafty receiver. He's a veteran guy. Uh, he knows his spots. He knows how to get open. Uh, but his his speed and his explosiveness has taken a little bit of a downturn, I would say, uh, certainly last year. Maybe that changes, you know, with the coaching staff changing and things like that. And he's a little bit um, more free and confident out there. But based off of what we saw last year, uh, he he wasn't moving, I don't think, the same way that he he moved in the prime of his career, whereas Gasicki was already out there running the seam and creating big plays in the spring and, and getting up the field and, and being explosive. So I think that they could pivot a little bit to Kasiki. I think both of these guys are going to play a ton together. Uh, I think that's a, an easy projection in the last two years uh, they were 25th in the league and 12 personnel usage, despite paying Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith huge contract. It, it was super weird. It was uh, right. you're paying both these tight ends, 10 plus million dollars and you can't play them together. So like, what's the point? And I think that that was sort of the realization that they came to this off season was what is the point? If we're not going to be able to play the two of them together, uh, then what good is it to have them? I think they're hoping that they can play these guys a little bit more together. And like I said, I, I could definitely see Gasicki being the primary 11 personnel tight end down the road. Wow. Yeah. I do think that's interesting. And Hey, we're okay with hot takes here. Um, it sounds like he might be a, a little flyer to take as a dark horse candidate down the stretch there for uh, for you and your fantasy drafts if you're looking at that. We're going to try something here. I'm going to give you a, a few minutes, however long you want to take here, on just like a soapbox uh, issue that you feel like uh, you have with the Patriots. So like what's something you don't believe is discussed enough with the team or is there something that you uh, believe that most people aren't looking at correctly here? All right. So I, I think the main thing with the team right now is is the quarterback situation and, and with Mac Jones and what is the what are the Patriots going to get out of year three and Mac Jones? And I, I think that there's a lot of people out there and this is going to maybe come off as a little bit negative, but there's a lot of people out there, in my opinion, that just think that Bill O'Brien's going to come in. It's going to be competent again for Mac Jones and everything is going to be hunky dory, right? Like they're just going to <laughs> drop, drop Bill O'Brien in and he'll be back to at least his rookie year production and looking like a serviceable game manager or beyond. And I think the biggest thing with Mac that, that I struggle with is, is he ever going to be beyond a game manager? Is he ever mm. going to elevate his game uh, to the point where it's, not just like, you know, Alex Smith, Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, Derek Carr, like those guys are fine. Uh, you can win with those guys. You can make the playoffs with those guys. The Patriots are not winning any Super Bowls with those guys, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's going to be the biggest thing still to me is that uh, Mac Jones needs to prove to me that he is not just along for the ride. It, it, you know, is he, is he a, a trailer or is he a truck? Is he driving the bus or is he sitting passenger? Right. And uh, I need to see something more from Mac Jones to, to elevate this entire team. I think the Patriots roster is playoff caliber, even in this division. I think that they could make the playoffs at 10 wins. I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to go, you know, 14 and three, but I, I think that they can win 10 games with this roster but in order to do that 
Uh, they're going to have to win some games that are a little bit higher scoring. They're going to have to win a game 35-31 that they probably shouldn't win. And that's going to come down to the quarterback. And I, I'm still – I'm not 100% sold the quarterback is up for it yet. And, and we got to see that from Mac Jones this year. So I, I ultimately think that you get a much more competent, a much more uh, put-together Mac Jones. Uh, but it's not good enough to just be – the rookie version of himself. Like that was a good rookie year. That's all it was. It, it wasn't like, Oh, this is our guy for the next decade, you know? So uh, right. I, I need to see more from Matt. All right. Well, we're going to get a good test of that here. Like you said, week one, they face the Eagles. And then of course, all those high powered offenses in the division. We'll see if he can keep up there. Um, thanks so much for the insight, Evan, to our listeners. Please make sure to check out all of his work over at Patriots.com and for the most up-to-date news on the Patriots. Uh, Thanks so much for joining us, Evan. We appreciate you being our first guest here on the show. Anytime, Zach. Thanks for having me. All right. So if you're paying attention to the news on Wednesday, you are aware that Devontae Parker was signed to a three-year extension. This unfortunately happened after we recorded our interview, so I just wanted to give you some context on Evan's thoughts. Uh, He posted an article later on Wednesday regarding Parker's re-signing and said this. As for how this relates to New England's pursuit of DeAndre Hopkins, on the surface, it might seem unlikely that the Patriots would extend Parker and add Hopkins to the mix, and it's now a guarantee that Parker won't be pushed off the roster by Hopkins. However, Parker's new deal likely creates cap space for the Patriots, which could free up money for the Pats to continue talks with Hopkins and secure Parker for the long term. Now, of course, he had a lot more to say, so make sure to check it out in the article. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also follow us on Twitter, at 32BeatWriters, to keep up with everything happening in the league this offseason. We'll see you next week.